Welcome to the Philly BI podcast. I'm John Wright, and this podcast is brought to you by Statstrone. Welcome to 2024. And this whole episode is a best of collection from 2023. And we've had some amazing guests last year, including a lot of well-known SEO experts like Matt Diggity, Kyle Roof, uh, Ferry Cazzoni, Victor Karpenko. We've interviewed people on the design side from and conversion rate optimization with Oliver Kenyon and Peter Loving. And we've covered almost every topic you can think of that relates to affiliate marketing, including content marketing, uh, talking with Lachey Lewis. And yeah, so I just want to take the best clips that we have from the last year and put together a powerful episode that I believe I've had the privilege of having the opportunity to ask amazing guests um, their take of what they see as the future of affiliate marketing, not just in relation to business intelligence, but what do they see coming up for this year? And so I hope you enjoy the show and learn a lot from it and looking forward to doing even more interviews this year as well. Part of the inspiration behind the Affiliate BI podcast came from how a course by Kevin Hartman changed how I looked at data science, data visualization, data analytics, and all the data stuff. It was actually one of the foundations behind the Philip BI podcast, where luckily enough, I not only did I take his course, but it really helped me look at data and affiliate marketing and realize, wait a minute, there's a lot more that can be explored here. So I want to take this insight from Kevin Hartman, who's a former head evangelist analytics at Google. And he runs an amazing uh, series of courses on data visualization. I highly recommend you check it out. And here's Kevin Hartman. Yeah, we, we've been doing it for about five years. So I think this was, this was a, a pretty early runner. But I, I, I really do believe that prior to the work we've done, most data visualization education revolved around learning a tool, becoming proficient in a visualization tool right? And learning all of the functions and features. And uh, what we've done is taken that step back and a harder look at what makes for good data stories and good visualization and how do you ultimately get there. The tool is important, but it's just an add-on, right? So what I have seen is um, uh, certainly growth. I mean, the, the, every single time we run the course, we get more and more people um, into it. Uh, it's the popularity has just continued to increase. And I, I believe that what is happening in the market has been really good for business for us. And that is in the market, just further developments of tools, further focus on, on technology to create visuals, to analyze data, right? Particularly the move towards artificial intelligence and, and all the wonderful things that that can do. It is effectively, uh, I think, for many people, taking the, the human a little further away from the process. Um, because these tools are so great and proficient and effective, you know, you can, you can let it do its thing a little more, get yourself less involved. Um, because the, the AL, AI algorithms are, are able to so effectively discover patterns and collect and analyze, you know, uh, enormous uh, sums of data, you can take you as an analyst a little further out of the process. 
And so what we are talking about, it, the result of that is, is really, at the end of the day, poor data storytelling, poor visualization, right? So what we are talking about is the opposite. It's, it's getting the human really entwined in the story, getting the analyst back into the data. Um, and so we, we, you know, because of this, this market trend toward tools, I, I feel like we're becoming even more appreciated for what we are doing in, in this, in this course. Um, it's also, it's, it's been amazing to me just how rapidly the tool market moves and develops. And now with data privacy and, and other concerns coming in, many of the, the, the tools that we would have relied on um, no longer work or have just fallen from the market, right? So it's been a very interesting thing to see how the tool market has progressed while knowing that what we're doing is pretty timeless. I mean, it doesn't matter. Those, those tools, you know, everything else that's happening are just, just uh, uh, things that, that the human analyst needs to be aware of. But we're, we stay very focused on the human analyst. The next two clips that I'm going to play for you are two amazing guests that I was very happy to chat with. Julian Juniman from Measure School and Sam McKay from Enterprise DNA. Both of them run uh, schools and that offer courses on everything from data science, analytics, um, tools, you name it. And I really like following what they do on LinkedIn, where I think they're kind of ahead of the game. And these are people that I now look up to uh, in terms of going, what's around the corner for data science and learning about this. So I've taken uh, my own um, inspiration to learn more. And I highly recommend people check out both of their uh, courses and websites uh, to see how you can uh, learn something when it comes to applying data science in any aspect of affiliate marketing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all really good, really good thoughts and points. Um, I like, I, I don't believe that the, the 10 times is an exaggeration. When you, when you put it into the analysis you could do, the apps you could build and the automations that you could build off the back of, um, of a lot of this, because you've got to remember that data has been exponentially growing. Just the amount of data that you have as a business, like we, we're, we're an online business. We're not, we're not, we're not a big company by any means, right? We're just a, a, a small to medium sized business. Um, but I just think about the data that we churn out that we don't really have in a, like, we don't have that much analytic around, like. I, at the moment, I don't know exactly the data is probably somewhere, but, or maybe it is, or maybe it is. I don't know exactly what each individual user is doing on our platform at each time they come to the platform, right? I, I, I have a little bit of an idea based on some um, events that we track, but not a full idea. And just think about it. Think about how much more we could, we could know if we, we could look, drill down into that individual person, then we could customize all of the, and automate all of the messaging and the learning plan for that individual person. So, so I don't, I don't, I actually don't think it's that big an exaggeration when you factor in all those different categories, like it probably is an underestimating, an underestimate, underestimating yeah. because you, you just think across this, for every business, health, healthcare, entertainment, finance, you know, just totally customized to you and that person think about, you know, as, as, a, as, as, as a, as a business servicing 
all of these uh, these customers, you, you want to get down to that level, right? Like that that's going to make you the most money, but also add the most value to your customers. Like to me, you know, that's that's where things are going. Like there's, there's just no doubt about it. So it's it's not it doesn't feel that too like too far removed from reality. That sort of estimation. Got a little secret for everybody. Uh, maybe a hundred years ago, people bought through word of mouth and referrals, and guess what? Today, it still happens. <laughs> just it still happens and it's the biggest driver of business growth and it's the biggest driver of lowering customer acquisition costs and it's a signal that you're doing a lot of things right the difference is that word of mouth has fundamentally changed over the past 20 years especially over the past five with the dramatic scale and maturity of the internet so in 1995 you could just tell your kids your your kids friends parents about the thing that you like at the t-ball game um, and now 25 years later, you could post it on LinkedIn and a hundred thousand people are going to see it within the next hour. You go viral on TikTok, and 8 million people see it and it drives incredible business growth. And that's happened over and over again. Or you post a podcast and people listen to that podcast for two years and over time start to really believe and trust you. Um, and so the idea of word of mouth has fundamentally changed over the past 20 years, which is the core difference. Um, I really think that we need to make a split here when we talk about this between influencers or key opinion leaders and affiliates. They're really two very different things with different motions that require different ways of measuring success. Um, affiliates play at the bottom of the funnel and try and make a small transaction fee for a referral. Um, influencers start at the top and create the demand that drives accelerated business growth and accelerated word of mouth. Affiliates are not driving word of mouth. They're not. Uh, you might get you might get a byproduct of word of mouth when they go through an affiliate by the product have success and they talk about it, but you'll rarely get the scale of word of mouth that an influencer or key opinion lead, a key opinion leader creates um, that ultimately creates demand and drives business growth. So I think for uh, for the affiliate game, I think that you have to be thinking about do I need do I need business expansion? Do I need to expand my capabilities and services? in order to not just play at the bottom of the funnel when someone searches this category and I'm going to continue to try and win on Google being a top three result so they can click my link and I can get 10% of the sale. And instead of playing that game, which over time SEO is going to change and it's going to leave your business vulnerable. Um, and so knowing that, do I need to shift to a add a different service or add a different layer to my service that includes demand creation and influencing people before they're considering buying, before they're going to Google. Um, that would be, if I was in the affiliate space, that would be my game right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how I did it, I think, which is a good way to do it is to do it when you're still working full time or at least have a different source of income. Um, so like I, I first built a website, I think, in Webflow. And then in the end, I, I turned it to, to WordPress just because there's so much more optimate optimizations you can do plus you can outsource a lot of things so i was really good at outsourcing a lot of things so um, i had my stable income so i was able to put some money into place to actually have people do things for me so to build a website to write blogs um, to add content uh, to kind of just i guess like make it as easy as possible for yourself so you can think of new ways to to do things um what I would change, add a newsletter like more quicker, I guess, because it was a really nice way to to build like an audience and to keep them engaged uh, with the site. Because otherwise they would only find you when, they, when they're searching for something. A podcast could definitely be a good one. Like, um, again, like the, the traction we're now getting on our podcast, 
um, it's really nice. Like I, I wish, I guess I did it sooner. And like, as soon as you get into this nice vibe, you can actually leverage other people's network uh, to get, uh, to get visibility to, to the things you're doing basically. So, um, I think that's the other thing, like leveraging other people, uh, or partners or websites, uh, more and more like, um, you see it a lot, right? Where people have like a certain batch on their site you earn from G2 or TechPon or any other review site, but that's good for both of them because they both get visibility and they both get more traffic. And often there's a backlink behind the button. So, um, it's even better for the, for the review site. So I guess there's a lot of things, but like own media, like make sure you own your own uh, channels, distribution channels, make sure you leverage uh, other people's network. It's just going to kickstart things and um, try to like outsource if you can, uh, when you're working full-time, try to outsource as much as you can, because then it allows you to do other things again to grow. And that was Chris Walker and Joran Hoffman back to back. And uh, Chris Walker is a B2B expert who is just phenomenal at sales. And I wanted to have him on the podcast to see if we, could, if we could pick his brain and see if all of the things he's learned in the B2B space can apply to B2C and affiliate marketing. And sure enough, it does. And Yoran is, a, I, I call him a thought leader in affiliate marketing. I mean, he has to be. He has Redditus, which is a SaaS affiliate program software. And Yoran is just, um, he's basically bootstrapped everything you could imagine. Uh, building a software on the back of building SaaS affiliate sites. So it's really cool. Next, we're going to get into a whole bunch of SEO interviews. Uh, one of the common things that I asked a lot of these SEO experts is, is SEO dead in the sense that all the companies that have a lot of money can buy their way to success? And is it kind of, is it too late? And almost all of them said, absolutely not, that you still have an opportunity to carve your own path in affiliate marketing uh, with content, with topical authority. So let's get into some of these amazing SEO insights. First though, I, I disagree with the premise. I don't think it's saturated. And I really enjoy when something like ChatGPT comes out because I don't know how old you are, but if you can remember back to um, February, 2023, um, SEO is about to die <laughs> and we're we're past that and somehow it has, I've been doing SEO for over a decade. Every six months SEO is dying. But what happens is, is, is it's usually dying in a slow death. And then there's, and I would say there are three or four moments I can remember that um, where something was really killing it. And in each of those moments, there was a contraction of SEOs and service providers and people that were in the game. And in those moments, I realized that some people, you know, businesses fail in the best of times. And then when they're stressed, then more fail faster. And it's very true within, within SEO. SEOs are failing all the time, even in up economies. Uh, when there's any kind of stress, any kind of down economy, any kind of other external factor, you will see more of a contraction. What I've found in those situations, which I think we're experiencing right now, is that I make more money because more people are, are falling away. They're, they're thinking it's not worth it. They don't know how to pivot the they were struggling to begin with. And now this is just one more thing that they can handle or really does tank their business. And so in these situations of uncertainty, that's when um, you can really make a lot of money and you can really be successful because I think there's a contraction of people that are service providers, people that are doing their own SEO, people that are doing their own affiliate sites for sure. So I do, 
disagree with the premise slightly that, that it's saturated. That said, um, in terms of channels, I've always found it interesting that people never look at their own SERPs. You know, they will put their keywords into tools and they'll get their data out of it. But at the end of the day, they never actually go and look at the actual thing. And that's dangerous because you're going to miss what's there, what's, what's obviously in front of you. And a lot of SERPs have a lot of features that people don't take advantage of. You know, they, uh, uh, there's like carousels, there's the people also ask, you know, there might be snippets, there might be a new feature for your, you know, there might be four or five features available on each SERP and they're often not optimizing to potentially get into those areas because they never really took the time to look. And so uh, I do think there are external things you can do, but the very first thing is you're already working hard for this keyword. You're already trying to get into this cluster. Look what's and see what's there because there are probably two or three other channels that you're missing that wouldn't take that much more work or you might be able to lean in a couple more of them and that's just going to increase your traffic right then and there without doing any extra, extra heavy lifting or trying to find a new way to do it. If you want platforms outside, I think you do need to figure out where your audience is and then go to that place. So by and large, I provide services, I provide tools, I provide education. Underutilized features, I would say it's, uh, is the AI uh, generator content because uh, it's like 25-ish, 30% adoption among the users right now. I understand not everybody wants AI content on their websites, but uh, from what I observe, uh, the content is offered better than human-written content that is not super expensive. Like, if you if you compare, like, 50 bucks article from, like, a mediocre writer, uh, it will be probably worse and 100% less researched. Uh, like imagine like we as uh, humans, we cannot analyze that big amount of information as the AI. Like it's just impossible to read the whole book in five minutes and then uh, use all facts and interesting uh, talking points from that book to create uh, a review of that specific book. It is just impossible. So I would say it should be used by 50 plus percent of the people. I'm, I'm down to it. It should be, it should be this way. So even though it's a huge contributor to our growth recently, I would say it's still underutilized feature of, of server. Oh, yeah. it's like a really interesting question. I think uh, the more. Uh, people will grow as a, like teams, companies, the more they will start to analyze, the more <laughs> they will start to see like where they are spending money, uh, where they're losing, should they not at all do this stuff. And with the, uh, this analytic tools, basically that's the answer. Just, just track things, uh, that they, they will, uh, start track, uh, everything possible, like from the business. Uh, like, for example, we have dashboard in agency for every department with the PNL for every team lead. So they know, like, for example, project, uh, head of project says, I want to do this team building, you know, like I need 5k. And now they go and see, can we afford 5k to do this team building, or we should like postpone it later and figure out this in a different way, you know, like 
because they see the numbers. As long as you like tracking the numbers, you can do some changes. If you don't track, come on. Like So I was reading books. You have the books there about business. And all the books said, if you want to make, you know, if you want to make a successful, if you want to build a successful business, you cannot be the technician only in the business. I'm still a technician in a way because I still work a lot in the business, but, but my main role is not to be a technician. Now, my main role is to be a systems operator and a systems builder. And um, should use the experience knowledge that I've acquired to become a system operator. So in 2020, I started posting on LinkedIn. I said, I had a few passive income sites. They were making a few thousand pounds per month. So they, they made more money in 2020, like the, the, the passive income sites made more money than what the client work did uh, on average in, in, you know, in, before that. So apart from doing the client work uh, before 2020, I was also building, you know, online assets like income tax calculators like a relation calculator and scam number sites. Um, and those started making money. And I said, there's no point doing client work now. It's, you know, the craziness that's happening in 2020. Um, let's just, let me just start sharing my knowledge with the world. And even yesterday, I was watching one of my, my videos there. I was, I was so awkward on video. Oh my God. I mean, even now, maybe I'm awkward sometimes, but I'm, sometimes I'm awkward on purpose with, you know, the wigs that I wear. But I was so awkward with some of the videos. Um, but, but I said, I'm just going to, you know, share the knowledge and share, you know, everything that I know. And I had a client and the first, you know, real client who reached out towards the middle of 2020 after posting consistently was a, it was a, an education client. They said, Hey, Ferry, I've seen your, you know, content. I think you're great. Can you help us with this site? And I was like, wow, where did that come from? And I said, yes, sure. I said, there's nothing to lose. I'm going to tell them, you know, 5,000 pounds a month. And if they're, if they're happy to, you know, work like this, then we'll, we'll smash it for them because that's a greater budget than I ever had from any client prior to, prior to that. I had like clients of like a thousand pounds a month or like 500, 500 pounds a month, which now looking back, I'm like, it's, it's not even good for a meeting. It's not even enough for a meeting. Right. And, and they say, oh, sure, send me the invoice. I'm like, wow. Send them the invoice. They pay the invoice. And then two weeks after that, another financial, like an IVA company reached out in the same way. Say, Ferry, I've seen your you know, case studies. Your content is great. And we have this website. Could you help us with, with this website? I said, yeah, 5,000 5, pounds per month. And we can certainly help. And I said, they said, yes. And then we had instantly like two two clients who pay 10, 10k a month and i was like this is crazy i have to double down on this content but then i had to do i have to do the work so how how do we deal with this and then i had michelle aston our head of operations now who was messaging me on linkedin before saying hey fairy i want to work in digital marketing you know i've seen your your content i see you're local in whitney do you need some help and i always said no 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 and when the second, I think, is it when the first, I'm not sure whether when the first invoice was paid or like the second client joined and I said, Michelle, I even made a post about this on LinkedIn saying, Michelle, I think we are, we are ready to take you on board now. And then she joined. And then I've seen when you have a person who's passionate about 
your mission. Michelle was like the first actual, you know, employee who I've seen. She would do anything. She said she she would work for free. She would do anything just to make this, you know, make this mission a success. And I've seen the power of that. I said, if we could find more people like Michelle, that's where we have a successful business. And then we started, we started finding new people. Uh, Michelle helped a lot in, you know, find the initial key employees. And that's where the, the big boost started. When I started thinking of it as, you know, as, as you need to find the right people, you need to build the right processes. We started building, you know, processes from the problem up. So we started the processes from the problem. So we have this problem. How can we build a system around it so it resolves the problem systematically, consistently, every time this problem appears? So it's not just for that specific problem, but whenever we have this situation, how can we use a plug and play system where we plug it in and the problem is solved? And that's where we started you know, really, really taking off. And then more clients started coming. And in 2021, so the next year, we decided we're going to stop doing SEO and we'll focus on just digital PR. And that's when things started. That's when, when, when people started thinking of us, not like as a, an SEO agency who does this and does that and does that. And then they do some content sometimes and they also do this. And with our next three guests, we have Jean-Michel Azopardi, who is in the blockchain space, but he basically says the future of blockchain really comes down to AI. And followed after him is Sami Kervinen, who's got the unfair advantage of having spent a lot of time as an affiliate manager who's now working on the affiliate side of business. And we also have Ian Sims, who works on a compliance tool. And as much as compliance might be the boring topic, he talks about how compliance can actually help uh, all sides of the business from the operators to your affiliate business. I love this question. So um, I think that AI is what will is what will fuel the growth of blockchain. If we agree that Web3 has multiple pillars, right? As far as technology goes, there's blockchain, there is a, there's AI, there's VR, AR, XR, etc. Those are all, all, all different examples of, of, of pillars of Web3. And we, we know that each of them are in their relative instance and that they are evolving at a more rapid pace than, than their counterparts 15 years ago. Well, if, if we look at uh, affiliate marketing, it's very much, much, uh, sales oriented. So if you work uh, with, especially the, the biggest affiliates, they, they often tell you that these are the rates and you know, you want position one, this is what you have to pay and so on. But when it comes to medium, smaller sized affiliates, I think what is often lost is that you, let's say if you take it from an affiliates manager perspective, um, you to move away a bit from just the sales uh, pitch, make sure that you have a proper understanding of the product that you are selling here and focus on the, the other selling point. Like, uh, is your company putting a lot of effort in, uh, in conversion rates? Then discuss that with the affiliate that maybe we're not going to pay you the most, but if you look at our data and, and you show the data to the, to the affiliate, you talk to you with, 
look at our conversion rates. You're going to see that even if we pay less, you're going to still make more. Or maybe the company that you are representing has an amazing gamification tool or, or loyalty program. Make sure you learn about uh, the, what's your, what's, what are the, the strong points of the brand that you are working for and explain to the affiliates that, okay, again, maybe we're not paying the most, but if you look at the, the overall lifetime value of the players, if you send those clicks to us, it's going to be higher because of this and that. So I think that uh, those are the, the, the ways that sometimes is forgotten, that it's too much focus on, on this, on the, the, the rates, the selling prices. And they for, sometimes forget that there's other factors that can affect an affiliate with, with uh, positions and brands they push. So I think it benefits everyone. You just got to think differently about compliance and not see it as a, as a pain point and see it as how it can help you. And there are other ways, the data that compliance can give you and the way it makes you position the data on your website, the focus perhaps you put on promotions and, and terms and conditions and stuff, it shifts all that. You just got to think a little bit differently. It's an interesting take you're highlighting, which is compliance could, it, well, it's not that it could, it probably does and it should improve the conversion rate for affiliates, for players, for operators. Yeah. I mean, ultimately everyone's trying to, you know, the whole idea of compliance at the moment of what the regulators are doing is trying to protect the consumer. There's also an element of brands wanting to protect their brand integrity and their risk. And obviously if they get fined, threatens the integrity of affiliate programs as well. So don't get me wrong. There are. Lots of things to think about um, and, and issues at hand. But ultimately, if you've got happy consumers, you're going to have a happy industry. And our next four guests happen to come from affiliate program software and affiliate network platform providers. Um, these people are interesting to talk to because they get to work on a unique part of the industry where, I mean, without the tech, there is no affiliate marketing. So next up, we have Alan Stone from Intellytics. We have David Harris and Vlad Bondarenko from ReferOn and Clements Dujardin from My Affiliates. You, you sort of hit the nail on the head there, right? If I'm, if I'm in a, and the, this technology exists now, like we do this, um, where if a player hits my site and I got them to convert at whatever sports book, when they come to my site again, I'm not showing them the offer wall with that promotion or any promotion, quite frankly, we are sort of obsessed with that retention. Like, hey, we know that this player converted with operator A. We're going to make sure that all the ads on site are now, to your point, retention ads, not sign up bonus. It's not, it's, hey, come back and play and we'll give you an additional, you know, $20 back or whatever, right? It's all retention oriented. I think the holy grail of that, and this is what we're pushing towards and exploring all kinds of technologies. How do we how do we tie the ability to deep link into exactly what that user was engaging with when they were last time they were on that operator's book? So similar, you know, again, use the e-commerce example. If I'm browsing for a particular product and I go there and I, I view a product on a site, now when I'm seeing ads for that brand, I'm not seeing ads for the brand. I'm seeing ads for the particular product I was looking for. Or if I add it to my cart and I abandon, right? Um, there are very specific ways that you can target that user who abandoned a cart. Say, hey, come back in today. We'll give you free shipping. And you drive them directly into the cart with the item there ready to go, right? That level of personalization, again, does, has not, it hasn't reached mass adoption by the operators. Um, and I think it's, I think it's coming. And that, that is the type of user experience. Look, that's, that's the ultimate user experience you're going you're gonna to achieve. And it, 
historically that was done with pixels. It doesn't have to be done with pixels. This stuff, the technology exists now where all this stuff can be done in the back end. Let's just to, just to add on to this. Yeah. yeah. Refron, obviously, we're looking at a bit of an angle on affiliate managers uh, from this perspective. And obviously, they're getting the FTDs, but no retention. But another level of what Referon offers and any platform is actual operators. Operators are using this and they want to see how a brand converts, not just at the individual affiliate manager. Now, coming back to the question of building that retention, making sure you have that relationship. If you take the example of an operator comes to platform X, okay, and they don't like it, they're not going to add any more brands to that platform. They're not going to be any more data streams. They're not going to use it continuously. If you build up the relationship and you show it's worthwhile and they know they can get certain data aspects out of it and they find it friendly or accessible, they're going to add and probably get more brands onto the system. So you build a relationship at that angle. And at the same time, the affiliate managers are used to it. You can have multiple programs running through the same kind of URLs. The accessibility and usage of it is multifaceted. It's not just affiliate manager getting FTDs and showing case, click to FTDs. Okay, I'm done. That's me for the KPIs. It's, there's, more, there's more layers at an affiliate platform than just the affiliates coming in. I agree with you guys. I was back in time affiliate manager. I was using Ahefs and all the stuff. I know, John, what you're speaking about because uh, even in my case, like my, uh, with whom I was working before, yeah, uh, like to, to start using some tools is, over, is all, always a challenge, especially when it comes to some new tools like Dipsy or whatever. Um, but as the industry becomes more data-driven, more such tools will come. And obviously, that we are speaking now, we are living in an AI uh, century, so to say. I hope, I'm sure, I'm not hoping, but I'm sure that such tools will be available also uh, for AI. The thing is that iGaming sphere is quite limited. We have really nice um, like examples of uh, Web3 sphere, like um, all this cryptocurrency sphere, it's much, 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 um, is having much more higher expectation. Yeah, a lot of people, much more people are involved in that and much more uh, sophisticated solution uh, are there. But even there, even there, Binance, for example, doesn't give us proper API. So what we can speak about iGaming, where money is big and a lot of money are coming here. But if Binance cannot give us proper APIs, what we can speak and tell about this small uh, topic? So this is uh, a matter of time, I, so, I suppose, I hope, and more tools will come. And I am a fan of ChatGPT. I am a fan of new tools. I, I know that it's, it's quite low amount of people still right now who wants to use new tools in iGaming sphere? There is, a, there is a problem of human resources. The good affiliate managers that were there 10 years ago have grown, have taken more responsibilities, have taken different positions. And, uh, and right now there is a struggle of finding people that understand the business. Okay. We haven't done much about it because, you know, there are courses here and there. There are online, but there is nothing in depth. There is nothing that is really focusing on how do we make an asset manager being a profession rather than something that you learn on an eight hour course, you know, and because that's, 
not the way it works. So operators have problems and, and, and I, I think it's, it's get, going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. Before these new affiliate managers actually understand the cooks of data, understand that everything is there at their fingertips. They just need to look at it and say, you know, okay. And they also need to communicate more with their affiliates. Very often I feel that, you know, it's a bit of a battle. It's affiliate manager against affiliates, you know, and there is always that, that trust issue where one thinks that they are going to steal the other one. And, 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 and you know, there, that trust isn't there. After all these years, we haven't managed to sit down all together, open the book and discuss all these open issues, you know, and, and I think that the only thing that needs to happen is actually trust and exchange of information so that, so, so that everybody gains from it and everybody learns and make more, more, more money, make their operations much easier. But how do we get that? That's a very good question. And the next three guests, they talk about a bit of SEO, content, topical authority, and branding. And these three to four topics somehow kind of come together. And I think it's a perfect segue to introduce uh, Matt Diggity, Gabriella Covey, and Lachey Lewis. And yeah, they just talk about, they just make it sound like, you know, content should be a common sense thing that you do. But I do believe that most affiliates, they don't take the extra time to properly curate their content, to put that brand authority, the topical authority, and to really put that branding um, hat on where it's like, okay, I'm going to be the the best I can be at this uh, at this topic, and I'm just going to go ahead and nail it. It's I don't think everyone has the mindset that I'm going to be the best at this, and I'm going to go out of my way to help the customer. So I can't wait to share these next three insights with you. Volatility is like just the name of the game with SEO, right? Uh, I, I've been doing it since 2009, and it's always been volatile. I mean, like the the first year I got into it and actually started getting success and making a bunch of money and breaking, breaking five figures, my whole entire portfolio died that year too. So I'm kind of used to volatility, but today's right now it's a, it's an interesting time in SEO because I think it's simultaneously harder than it's ever been before and easier than it's ever been before. And let me explain myself. So it's harder in the sense that it takes more resources to do SEO. And in the world of SEO, resources means content and backlinks. So uh, whereas before you could go after a niche site with uh, 20 pages of content, if it's just like hyper-targeted, right going after knee pain or something like that, just so I, I'm going to write really good content, 20 pages and just dive right into knee pain. That doesn't work anymore. So now we're in a world of topical authority where it's like the website that covers the topic more completely will gain what's called topical authority and have an advantage of ranking over other websites that only dabble in a topic. So there's the content resource that's ballooned. Um, there's also a link resources that you need to apply to a website. So it's just kind of ridiculous right now. Google solves a lot of their problems with just um, who has the most backlinks. Um, I'm referring to the EAT algorithms, product review algorithms, tons of algorithms where they put up a list of things that how they want their algorithm to work, but it, really just boils down to backlinks. It worked really well. Um, but I always knew there was like a better approach and I saw the future, all this link farming and all that stuff. Like it might work now, but I don't think it's going to, it just doesn't feel right. It feels like you're trying to scam the system 
and outsmart it, but you're going to lose in the end. It didn't feel right. Like it, it was, there was something like, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want my client, client's website to be on this shady website because I saw that it's shady, but it worked back then. So we we're like, okay, yeah, if it's working, yeah, we can play around a little bit with this. But then digital PR just became this thing over time where it was like, it, it just became more increasingly important to build that brand and, and generate those brand signals that are important now, nowadays with the EAT requirements and whatnot now more than ever. So we slowly started building out that service and this past, I would say two, a year and a half or so just have been really focusing on that because it's just so critical. It's such a critical component of SEO nowadays. So it's, it's part of, of a successful strategy for building like a brand. And you need to build a brand now. There's no way around it. You have to have a solid brand that stands the test of time that will, uh, you know, survive these algorithm updates because now they're happening all the time. Like you just got to. Yeah, you got to think long term if you're in it to win it. Yeah, I used to do it with my affiliate sites all the time. Like I would create like an alias and pull on the website like fake name generator and generate an alias for that. But I always built my affiliate websites with a brand behind it. I think branding is a super strong play. It builds trust. Yeah, I think branding is very, very important. I think it needs to play into... As far as it playing into the actual content strategy, it can, but I'm looking at branding more of like a higher level type of thing. So like, for example, when I would do my affiliate sites, like I would get a logo made on Fiverr and I would, you know, have color schemes going on and things like that. But in actuality, when people come to the website, they're reading the article. They want the information. Again, not saying branding isn't important, but I think it's really just like spices it up, especially for affiliate websites. If we're talking about B2B, oh, you totally need branding around the, you know, from the jump just because the sales cycles are longer people are going to their peers to ask, you know, is this a good software? You know, this, this, and that. But, you know, so there's some nuance and differentiation, you know, differentiation there between like affiliate websites and SaaS. But I do think branding is still an important play all around. I've always done it. And it's funny because I never thought about it until you just said something about it. But yes, branding is something that I, I stand on pretty, pretty hard for sure. And the next two guests, we're going to continue on with that branding theme and go into first design and then conversion rate optimization, which definitely has a lot of design elements built into it. So next up is going to be Peter Loving, who is a UX designer and he's the, his company is behind the redesign of Statsdrone. So we're very grateful for having connected with them, highly recommend them. And next up was, I'm a big fan of conversion rate optimization. So I was really pumped to have Oliver Kenyon from ConversionWise on the show. And you know what? When it comes to product design and design itself, this really goes right into branding. It goes into branding in every sense that it really controls your content itself. I mean, you're not going to have an amazing design and substandard content. You're going to put the maximum effort into it. So I'm very happy to segue into these next two topics, which are very near and dear to me. And it's, it's because fundamentally when we're designing, we're always thinking about the end user. So we do our best job to really understand them and their needs and their goals. Um, so the more intimately we understand them, the better we are to then think of from their perspective of giving them the things that they need. So, um, 
at the beginning of any any product or, or website, that's the process that we go through. It's really getting to understand those people. Um, what what are they looking to achieve and what result do they want? And then when we understand how they usually get that result, we can create something that replicates that process and delivers that result for them online. So whether it's a website or a, pro or a product. And uh, it takes uh, time getting to know them while spending time with them. We usually do user interviews or uh, and research, or we might ask them questions or ask them, uh, find out a bunch of information about how they currently achieve the results that, that you know, we're looking to help them with. Um, and essentially, we, we, we create um, an automated way of doing that or an alternative way of doing that, um, whether it be a website or, or a platform. Um, and that's really the fundamental part of getting good design. It's understanding the user, knowing, knowing the problem. We really define the problem. I mean, that's really key because then, then we want to solve that problem for it. So like it, if these are affiliate marketers, we want to know their big, big problems and we'll solve those in design. And, and that's kind of got to be part of helping them achieve their goals. Yeah. So when it comes to like ongoing CRO, I, I split CRO into two, two categories, really. One is the landing page design. So that is like building a landing page around best practices and best frameworks, which we have kind of pioneered over the last 10 years to say, like, if you put X, Y, and Z in this order and this layout, it should convert better than if you just got a random good looking design of 99 designs, for example. You then have the other side, which is when you have a certain amount of volume of data and traffic per month, you can start running exactly, as you said, these kind of A-B tests. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's literally where you hypothesize that like this would convert better than this. Use a, a bit of software that spins 50% of your audience towards version A, 50% towards B, and you soon find out which one converts. Now, it's a good question. It's a question we get asked a lot. It's like, what volume of data do you need? We suggest that anyone below 50 to 100,000 hits per month sticks to landing page design. You can take bigger swings because you haven't got enough data going through uh, the test. You can afford to take bigger swings, bigger changes, uh, and you can, you, can, you can build something that's based on a, a high converting framework. If you have over 50 to 7,500,000 hits per month, uh, that's when you can kind of unlock A-B testing effectively and quickly because basically you need, you need at least two weeks to run for a test. And the reason that is, is because external factors can sometimes um, contradict your test. For example, if on a Monday, there's a bit of news about the product that you're selling in the market, there's probably going to be more people who are trending, going to your pages and buying your product. There might be something, uh, you know, external again, that kind of affects it like a sale or a uh, prime day or something, you know, something on that specific Monday may alter your test. So you need to let it run two Mondays just so you can kind of counterbalance that and say, okay, it wasn't just a fluke on that Monday. Um, as far as sample size and volume, you're really looking at around about at least a hundred thousand hits, uh, at least kind of, yeah, sort of 50 to a hundred thousand thousand hits, but also you need to look for statistical significance. So you can actually become statistic a lot shorter uh, time of volume but you need to make sure that it is kind of like that 85, 90% up on, okay, this one is statistically proven to convert better. And sometimes you can actually make a bit more of a quicker decision if the test should win. You can do A-B testing on any volume of, of traffic. It's just going to take you longer, you know, to get to that 50, 100,000 hits. 
if you're only doing 20,000 hits per month, it's going to take five, six months. Whereas if you're doing over that 100,000 hits, you can just get statistically significant a lot quicker. Uh, and then you can make a decision on whether the test won or lost and implement it on your store. But I would always run it over two weeks just so you have like two Mondays, two Tuesdays, two Wednesdays, two Thursdays. And the last two insights I'm going to share are with Simon Dunn from Your 10K, who's got a lot of experience in performance marketing. And he gives uh, some really interesting insights when it comes to what affiliate managers don't know about their own business and what they should know. And I'm going to finish this off with another Matt Diggity quote, which just has another great tip that I think most affiliates just don't take to heart, which I'm just going to summarize as knowing what to ask your affiliate managers, which personally, I believe most affiliate managers don't have the answer to, but if you ask them and they're good, they're going to get that answer for you. That's going to help you give you a competitive, competitive advantage and be part of your feedback loop. Yeah. So for the. For the most part, they are for affiliate programs and the most shocking thing, and it's like, it happens time and time again, is affiliate managers paying wrong rate and uh, to, to affiliate. So quite often for people who are inexperienced with affiliate management, they will say, okay, my target cost per acquisition is $50. Therefore, I'm going to launch a program. I'm going to pay all the affiliates $50. So what they don't actually understand is what a lot of affiliates do is play in what we call a bottom of funnel space. So they will go and quite often they'll just like, someone will even do, you know, let's, let's go back to the gambling example. So someone will go Google Butler's Bingo or they'll bid on Butler's Bingo coupon code. And what that affiliate is doing is like, they're just converting over someone who's already searching for the brand. It's not necessarily that incremental. The affiliate, the novice affiliate manager doesn't necessarily recognize that they just pay kind of like their premium rate to people who are just like closing off the sale. And they'll look at the program and they go, wow, we're getting so many sales to our affiliate program. But what's actually happened is someone else in the business has paid big bucks to create awareness for that user and that affiliate is just closing them out. So we've often seen where, you know. Brands are choosing to pay $50 for sale where they could easily be paying five or 10 and they say you won't be happy enough with that. So like we've got in it, you know, program burning tens of thousands of dollars every single month just by getting the rate. I mean, the, the biggest thing that they can help me with is just steering me towards the right products to promote. So like, we're just guessing when we log into that dashboard and we see their EPC numbers and stuff like that, but the they really know the behind the scenes and especially how to relate that to the content I already have. So steer me towards the profitable products is the big thing. And then the second best thing that they can do for me is creating like a creative offer that's better than buy this, get this. So like buy three, get one free or sign up for 12 months and uh, have someone kind of recurring aspect to it. So like, that's like one of the biggest things that can add another zero to the income I'm making with a product. And one more tip we got is on delegation and having a chat with SEO expert, Sean Chaudhary. He is um, the founder of Alchemy Leads and he's a really cool guy. We had an impromptu chat uh, talking about SEO, about creating offers and guarantees uh, for agencies, for affiliate sites and for SaaS companies. 
And simply put, we basically said we need to do more delegation uh, for 2024. So that's going to be uh, another important tip uh, to sign off with. For his story, but I also think that story is relatively common in our space, which is awesome. If you look at some of the fastest growing companies, I would bet most of them are in our space, just in the digital space, branches off into different things. But I think delegation, that's such a huge point. I'm trying to get better at it. I don't think I'm, I'm anywhere near where we will be in five years. So just looking back five years. Yeah. But, but yeah, no delegation is something that's, that's super key. I think, have you read the book? I think it's buying back your time. Dan Martell, buying back your time. And it's pretty interesting. And also the Elon book also, I think is a good story. And so what I'm trying to do more is simplify. And if you look at what Elon does, he tries to eliminate everything. Any task that he has to do, he's trying to eliminate it. That's really what he's trying to do. So if there's a thousand parts of the process, he wants to make it one or four as simple as possible. And, uh, and yeah, I think there's a simplicity and delegation and systems and also just structure, right? Like having people in place to be your support. So you don't have to do all the nitty gritty. I think that's what this upcoming year, I think that's the next, that's the next phase. That was an amazing collection of insights. And I'm just super grateful for having the opportunity to get to ask these questions to some of these amazing guests over the past year. And it just gives me a lot of uh, inspiration for what's to come over this 2024. And just looking forward to interviewing even more amazing guests. If you want to do a big favor, if you've reached this far, is if you can leave a comment or rating wherever you listen to your podcast, that helps us kind of leapfrog our podcast to get more, more listeners, get well-known. And it's going to help us land some amazing guests. So leave a comment, ask any question you want, and looking forward to giving you more amazing insights in 2024.